New tech shifts often precipitate the rise of new best practices and new roles. I was excited to speak with Sarmad Kadri, CEO and founder at Last Mile AI, about the emerging category of AI ops. We covered topics such as what have been the primary gaps in workflow for technical people trying to use AI? What are the software categories within AI ops? And in which categories do startups have an advantage versus older companies that have operated in adjacent categories? You can listen to the conversation or else read the lightly edited transcript. Enjoy. Sarman, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk about everything related to AI ops. Thank you for having me, Allison. So to get started, what have been the primary gaps in workflow for technical people trying to use AI? I think the biggest gaps are just that it's such a dynamic space right now, and they're moving parts at every layer of the of the stack. There are new foundation models that are coming out that, with different capabilities. There's also, it's not just LLMs anymore. There's increasingly like video, audio, text, image models. And first, there's just this huge craze going on in the space and just figuring out what's even possible is the first step that anyone has to take today. And then you get started with like, I have a use case or problem I want to solve. And even if I'm technical, let's say I'm a software engineer, I may not have used AI before in this way. It's actually new even for ML engineers because the traditional development journey has always been, I start with data, I train a model for a specific use case, I deploy that, and then the cycle continues from there. But now I can get started with these very sophisticated models from scratch uh, without having to do any of that pre-work. And yet there's no tooling to support this new kind of workflow. And so I kind of have to chain together a bunch of different tools that kind of exist today are in their infancy. Everybody's trying to figure out what that development workflow even looks like. Even if you're technical, there are parallels to this old world of how AI happened or how software development happened, but it's an evolution and it's a drastic shift. In many ways, like the compute engine, software engineers are used to writing code and it's very deterministic. And now you can actually use an LLM as a compute engine almost and give it prompts. And so people are writing functions that are described in English on what they want to accomplish. And how do you even think through that or manage that? Or how do you version control that? Uh, how do you evaluate the performance of that? It's very different from traditional software engineering. And so there are parallels to the old world, but we don't have enough of the tools built out yet across this entire workflow to be able to go end to end. Great context for the rest of this discussion. I want to talk more about the people involved in AI ops. I always found it, I find it interesting that with the advent of new technology, new roles can be created, people who can use that technology, but at the same time, those people influence in turn the technology that they are using. So understanding that dynamic, I think, is really important, understanding how innovation happens. And I'm wondering what new roles are being created in the realm of AI ops? And then how are those specialized roles in turn influencing what kind of software is being developed? It's a very interesting question because on the one hand, you can think of AI and people have been using the word co-pilot everywhere. And I do think there's this amazing idea that I can have co-pilots for different tasks that I'm already doing that make me more productive. And so you see that with marketers and writers and artists who are using AI for the first draft, for example. And so in that case, the roles haven't changed, but your capabilities and maybe your workflow on how you did your job has evolved. And then there's people who are actually developing AI applications and there's software engineers involved in that. But 
it's actually a team effort now. A traditional ML has often been pretty lonely because you had an ML research scientist who was like trying to build a model end to end from scratch usually. And then that fed into a product and there was some kind of loop there. But now with generative AI, I think the loop is a lot more collaborative, even at its infancy, because you might have requirements that product teams have that they want to see perform by AI agents or AI workflows. And then you might have reviewers who are trying to evaluate whether the application is actually doing those things. And it's a lot more collaborative than it ever was before with ML. So I think what that looks like in the future on, is it purely software engineers who are these AI engineers going forward? Or is it this kind of like hybrid of a product team that we kind of know today that's developing it? That will probably evolve. That part is slightly different. And the last part to that is I often think of this as producers and consumers, similar to Retool, where the people who create the dashboards are generally very few and pretty specialized. It might be a data scientist on my team who like creates the growth metrics dashboard for me. But then the consumers of that are anyone in the organization potentially. And so I think that role of who the consumer is will also evolve. It might actually encompass the entire organization in some way or your entire user base, whatever that side is. But then the people actually building AI applications, I still think that will be fairly specialized. It won't necessarily be ML researchers doing that, but I think it'll still be product teams, engineers, and designers who are really like adding AI into their applications. Continuing on this theme of the people involved, what professional opportunities do you think there are for advancement for folks in this field? I think the hard stuff that still exists beyond just AI ops is how to extract better performance out of these models. And so, for example, we've talked about fine-tuning LLMs, but we can also think about fine-tuning embedding models to create better embeddings that result in better retrieval. And so there is opportunities in specialization to really understand LLMs, transformer architecture, and advance some of the core competencies of the models themselves. Then there is this new class of engineers that's being created, which is software engineers who leverage AI. I don't think it's just prompt engineering, but it's a more holistic approach. And I think of generative AI having a bunch of strategies you can use and essentially a few new tools in your software development toolkit. And so I don't think software engineers are going away anytime soon. I actually think their roles become more interesting because you have a few more tools you can play with and try things out with. And the people who are really able to specialize in understanding the capabilities and the limitations of these models, I think they will be in short supply for the foreseeable future. So I actually think like if you're looking to figure out what to do for college or what to study next, uh, learning just computer science and software engineering is still probably the, the best thing you can start with. And then really understanding how LLMs actually work, how foundation models function, uh, how you can extract more or better performance from them. What are the steps in the workflow that you can actually tweak and control? That will be a pretty interesting space to be in. So how would you describe the emerging world of AI ops? Ooh, so I guess in a, in a single sentence, it's about filling these gaps. It's not this complete revolution of tooling, but it's essentially trying to bridge that gap between software engineering, what used to be ML engineering, and this new like AI engineering that's emerging. So concretely, what that means is the traditional ML ops tools that have existed so far, they were all for ML engineers who are trying to train models. None of them were geared towards software engineers. And so the first thing is just the target persona of AI ops is different. 
it's not core ML research scientists, it's software engineers and product teams that are trying to productionize AI. The second part is AI is just a part of a wider toolkit that software engineers have. Any application that we've seen come out, there's a perplexity and a couple of others. They leverage AI for accomplishing a task, but it's not the be-all end all of the product. And so how do you fit AI development into that wider workflow that already exists and has been built up over decades? That's kind of what the AI ops evolution is going to look like. And what that concretely means is like, how do I start from prompt engineering as the very first thing that everybody does? And then how do I then tune the model itself? There are still like those hyperparameter style sweeps that you can do to tweak the settings of a model. Then like, how do I figure out what model to use? Uh, how do I connect that to my data? That's again, every company or every organization has some kind of specific use case or custom data that they want to leverage. And so how do I connect these powerful models to those data sources? Do I need to create a new model with new model weights, which people are calling fine tuning? Or can I just like do some prompt engineering uh, with vector databases? Uh, how do I evaluate the performance of this? How do I version control this entire, like all of these are moving parts. So how do I track all of that? How do I cache things? Because LLM performance is another thing that people are thinking about. So there are all these steps along the way. There are parallels to old world of like monitoring and observability or of caching. And so it's not completely new, but it does require a new take, especially for AI, because it's the first time a lot of a whole new generation of software engineers are actually able to play with it. It's really helpful for you to disaggregate these different components of AI apps. I'm also wondering more specifically on the software side, what categories do you expect to emerge within the software world for AI apps? Traditional developer workflows are generally split up into like the inner dev loop, which is when I'm iterating rapidly and experimenting with things and I'm trying to seek immediate feedback and have a fast feedback loop, basically. Uh, so the Jupyter Notebooks are an example of that for Python development. Then there's the outer loop of now I want to deploy this so I might have integration tests set up for my application or I might have evaluators that are running in the background or I have like data pipelines that are ingesting things that I need. And so that's the outer dev loop because that takes a little bit long. Maybe it runs nightly, for example. Then there's the monitoring part of I've deployed something in production and now I want to observe it, monitor it, maybe even have a feedback loop back into my inner dev loop. I think those categories of inner dev loop, outer loop, deployment and monitoring are going to remain the same. But we'll see a lot more cohesion of how they develop for AI ops specifically, because you can imagine prompt engineering, parameter tuning, that kind of stuff being part of the inner dev loop when I'm just like iterating on the system prompt or I'm like adding different kinds of vector databases or embedding models to retrieve custom data. And then there's like a caching for how that works for LLMs, where it's probably like edit distance based or vector, like k nearest neighbors based instead of just like a key value based kind of caching. So you'll see these things emerge over time. But I think those core categories of what is AI ops will look very similar to someone who's built developer workflows before. Are you bullish on a couple of those categories in particular, or do you think the jury's out on all of them? I think that inner dev loop is probably the first thing we'll see rapid improvements in. I think 
we're underestimating how much we can do with just prompt engineering right now. Everyone we've talked to is interested in fine tuning, but they look at that as like a North Star of eventually being able to own their own model or really extract the most performance they can out of it. But I think if you look at the tools and applications that have really succeeded so far, a lot of them were able to go like a long way just by doing chain of thought prompting or different kinds of techniques or injecting facts into a context that then you used the LLM to analyze. And so I think the inner dev loop, figuring out how to really make that efficient will probably be the first and most visible part of this. And also something that's achievable today as the adoption curve continues to mature, we'll see more tools for fine tuning and more complex workflows build up. But right now, if you think of like, what is everybody doing when they explore LLMs and jet foundation models? It's that they're playing with them and they're experimenting with them and they're trying a bunch of stuff out. And so we'll see a lot more tooling that enables that to be done in a systematic way. What do you think is holding back companies from adopting AI more significantly within their workflows? It goes back to the gaps in the workflow that you asked about earlier. And specifically, if you think of the tools, libraries, frameworks that exist today, they make it very easy for you to prototype something really quickly. Like in less than 50 lines of code, you should be able to take a YouTube video, like extract the transcript from it and summarize it with an LLM. That's amazing. But you can't really take that from a prototype phase to production where you have either entire pipelines built or workflows built, users being served traffic in production without a lot of customization today. And so customization means you kind of have to be an expert at every step of this developer workflow to be able to control them because there's no cohesive structured developer platform that exists today for AI ops. And so I think organizations are struggling to like, first and foremost, evaluate the performance of things that are out there in production. Uh, that's one of the biggest things. And a concrete fact that I don't know if you've played with any chatbots outside of ChatGPT. It's been eight and a half months since ChatGPT came out, but I don't think I've really seen many companies have ChatGPT-powered chatbots out there in production yet. There are a few like plugins that were added for ChatGPT with some integrations with external partners, but nothing's really taken off. And that kind of shows you that it's not that easy to just call the OpenAI API and call it a day. There's all these steps you have to take and then to evaluate and to have rules-based engines potentially towards the end to guarantee some guardrails around model behavior that make it really hard to actually productionize it. And so I think we'll actually probably see an evolution of the AI ops tools that have existed so far in the last year, because what it takes to build something in production is probably very different from what it takes to build a prototype for something. And there's value in the prototype phase because that's essential. That's how you get a whole new generation of engineers and people to experiment with this, but then to take them and help them get everything that they've prototyped into production, you need a, another phase of tools that currently don't exist. Fascinating. I want to get a little bit even more contrarian because I know there's a ton of content out there about AI, but what's interesting is like your unique perspective. What do you think are the areas of AI ops that are not talked about as much as they should be? Offline workflows, actually. So I think Everybody's very excited by chatbots, right? And the obvious thing was uh, when ChatGPT came out that I want to enable customer support orgs to be more efficient. 
by having AI-powered chatbots to talk directly to customers. And that's fine, but I actually think the value of these models goes way beyond the customer-facing side of things. Most organizations, the workflows that they run that are today powered by like traditional models, a lot of them are actually offline workflows. So for example, even on the customer support side, there you can use LLMs to evaluate the quality of calls that happen with human operators and have that as a feedback loop built into your organization. That's an offline workflow where you just like evaluate millions of transcripts, for example. People are using LLMs already in production for data annotation and a lot of things that you can use GPT-4 for as a first reviewer or as a first draft and then have human reviewers kind of improve it over time. And so I think I'm very bullish on companies and tools that enable that offline workflows side of things to be made more efficient. Then there's also like just even on the developer tools side, let's say that I'm evaluating different kinds of prompts and settings and even models, just being able to run like 5,000 different versions of a prompt and with five different models, do this M by N like comparison. That's an offline workflow as well that I can then have as a almost like an integration test suite for my AI part of my applications. And so I think that part we don't talk enough about because users don't see that. But as far as companies are concerned, those are the kinds of workloads and workflows that really matter because that's the majority use case. And that's also pretty hard to deploy internally within organizations unless you have dedicated teams. Within AI apps, are there certain categories where you think startups will have an advantage versus older companies, incumbents that are in adjacent categories? I think so. I've worked with big companies for a long time. Uh, I'm building a startup now. The thing I've observed that they both excel at very different things. Startups have agility and speed as their best friend. And anything that requires that kind of rapid experimentation rapid change of direction and like completely overhauling, trying really crazy revolutionary things uh, that otherwise you'd, in a larger organization, you'd have to get buy-in from like five different stakeholders to just even try. That stuff startups excel at. Large companies excel at things that require scale. If you're trying to build a foundation model from scratch, uh, you better have a lot of capital or you better be a large company. And so I do think open source is going to continue to build better and better models. But the best open source models also came from Meta, for example. Llama 2 is a large company's open source model. And so I think if you need like a lot of capital intensive things, uh, large companies will continue to excel and dominate that space. But for how the developer workflow, for example, looks, I actually think startups will be the ones defining that because it requires a lot of iteration, a lot of experimentation, thinking of uh, how the community re reacts to it. And so I think that will be driven both by open source, but also specifically by startups who are willing to experiment quickly. On this, Serena thought about how much room there is for startups to build big companies in this area. For example, how many startups do you think could become big companies in the realm of AI? And, and by big, I mean $100 million ARR companies growing at 70 plus percent per year. Too early to say, but my hypothesis is that I don't think there'll be too many. I think this will be consolidated over time and maybe even pretty quickly uh, because if we think of AI ops and if I was an organization looking to leverage an AI ops solution, I probably don't want to chain together five or six different solutions to build my own AI ops workflow. I'd much rather have something that can help me go end to end and customize pieces of that. 
And so, so far, what we've seen is a lot of companies looking specifically into things like vector databases or embedding retrieval or prompt engineering. And so it's very, very specific parts of the workflow, which makes sense because startups have limited resources, limited time, and so they want to focus. But I think the companies that are able to provide that end-to-end cohesive workflow for developers are the ones that will probably succeed at growing ARR and actually growing the metrics more than just GitHub stars, because I think that stuff is hard. And that's also, I think companies talk about moats and all that quite a bit. And that's a moat of being able to be end-to-end because that's really hard to do. And that's why we haven't seen one emerge, even from large companies yet. So I think, yeah, there will be a consolidation of this pretty quickly, but I'm pretty hopeful. I have heard people say that or wonder if most of the gains will be consolidated within large companies. And I don't think that's the case. I do think there is enough growth to happen with this new phase of computing that will have emerging winners as well that aren't just the big tech companies that exist today. I often find that in the early days, certain startups are trying to evangelize about categories that they want to create, but that don't necessarily deserve to be created. Are there any like fake categories that have set off red flags for you? It's not so much fake categories, but I would say things that are perhaps too early to really invest in right now. One I kind of alluded to, I think fine tuning is valuable, but it's probably going to take a little bit more maturity on the adoption curve to really benefit from it. So if you're a startup that's working on that, just be prepared, in my opinion, to like wait it out a little bit or to invest now, but realize that the adoption curve will probably happen later. The other one that I see a lot of hype around is agents. And it's really cool to see LLMs especially be like orchestrators of complex. You ask the LLM to break it down into discrete tasks, and then it orchestrates the execution and the resolution of those tasks. And I think that's a really interesting area. But the way people have been looking at it predominantly is to try to build these general purpose agents that can kind of do everything. And that's, I don't think, possible to actually productionize. It's probably pretty cool to advance the state of the art and develop more interesting techniques on prompting. But I think If you're looking to build a startup in this space and if revenue matters and things about adoption for production use cases matters, then that's both too early because I don't think the models are ready for it right now. And also maybe the wrong approach because today you can build agents for very vertical, very specific domains and do a good job. But if you're trying to build a general purpose agent that can kind of like solve any objective you give it, I think we're a long way away from that. So now that we've got the lay of the land in terms of AI ops as this emerging space, I want to talk more specifically about what you're doing, because given that you have these perspectives, obviously, like you are building a company that can help shape the future of AI ops. So can you tell us a little bit about what Last Mile is, what inspired you to build it, and what's the perspective on the world that your company represents? I'll just start with our motivation for it. So a little bit of a background on me and the rest of the Last Mile team, we all came from Meta. We worked at Meta AI, and we were actually involved in building most of the developer tool stack that ML engineers and data scientists used at Meta. So the Jupyter Notebook platform that built from the ground up experimentation, model management, a bunch of things that thousands of ML engineers at the company use. And so we understood the ML developer workflow and ML ops really well from that experience. And with Generative AI coming on the scene, what we realized was that 
You do need, like I mentioned, there is this evolution that's going to happen with developer workflows going forward. And it's going to have similarities and synonyms with MLOps and just traditional software development, but it's going to require a new set of tools and a new set of workflows to cater towards software engineers instead of ML researchers. And so that's really what Last Mile is trying to do. We The reason we named it Last Mile is we want to bridge that last mile of gap between these amazing foundation models and what they can do and your application and being able to experiment with, personalize, and integrate foundation models into your application. And so we're trying to fill those gaps that exist in the AI developer workflow today. And so with Last Mile today, we're really focused on the playground side or the inner dev loop side of AI ops, where we built this thing called AI Workbooks, which is a notebook interface where you can try out any different kind of model, tweak it, chain it together, build a workflow out of it, iterate on it rapidly. And it looks like a notebook. It has cells, so there's parallels to Jupyter Notebooks. But then instead of a compute kernel, you have an ML kernel almost because you're not writing code, you're prompting with words or images or audio. And so we're going to holistically look at every step of this developer workflow and see what the synonyms are to how we've done things before, but really build things for this new world of generative AI. Sarmat, it was wonderful to interview you. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights on this space. Thank you, Allison. It was great to meet you, great to chat, and uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. 